This is Hybrid Teaching, Pedagogy, People, Politics, the podcast that addresses the intersections of pedagogy and power in our connected and challenging education environment. It's the audio version of the open access collection of the same name, published in February 2021. The book features 27 chapters of provocative texts addressing the intersections of critical pedagogy and digital technology in our present political moment. I'm Chris Friend from Kane University, and I'll be your host, introducing authors and reading the occasional chapter. The podcast provides one more avenue for accessing the material from the book, which is already available as an ebook, a print on demand paperback, a series of articles published on hybrid pedagogy and other websites, and a pay what you will PDF download available from hybrid pedagogy. This is episode one of part one, Pedagogy, and I'll be reading Sean Michael Morris's chapter titled Technology is Not Pedagogy. This chapter was originally published to Sean's blog on the 10th of June, 2020. Every year, hurricanes batter the coasts of Florida. But people stay. They don't move away. Every year, wildfires and mudslides endanger those living in Los Angeles. And people stay. Every year, institutions of higher education face budget crises, shortfalls, administrative bloat, and student attrition. And we stay. This year, the proverbial shit hit the fan when COVID-19 forced everyone indoors and online. The ensuing rush was a veritable fox hunt for the technological solutions that would provide continuity as we lost our campuses and our communities. Leave the classroom, but get back to class as early as technologically possible. And largely, the view halloo was shouted on the first sighting of Zoom and Slack and Flipgrid. I have been in digital learning in one form or another since 1999, but I have never been asked to speak on the subject more than I have been these last 10 weeks. And this is largely due to the fact that my expertise, once seen as fringe or suspect or chancy, has now become the practice upon which education must wager its future. And yet, my expertise is digital pedagogy, specifically critical digital pedagogy, which resides more in the relationships between teachers and students than it does the delivery of instruction. I'm often thought of as the tech guy, but what I actually do is very intentionally human. So as I'm approached with questions about what technologies might help build community online, what platform I might recommend for ensuring students don't cheat, or what digital solution I know of that will enable meaningful discussion, I found myself answering, teach through the screen, not to the screen. Find out where your students are and make your classroom there in a multiplicity of places. When I first started teaching online a dozen years ago or more, My students were scattered across the United States and the Middle East. They were single mothers in rural communities, truck drivers who were rarely in one place for very long, first-generation college students without access to a library, and enlisted men and women serving abroad. There was no classroom for them. I had to make one, with words, with conversation, with pictures, with questions. Taking an online class was a risk for many of them. They couldn't be sure they'd finish the term or that the state funding would come through in time to buy their books. Many of them didn't understand how college could be different from high school, much less how learning online was radically dissimilar from classroom learning. They came to their screens with little sense of what there was there. It wasn't, couldn't be, the technology that created a space for learning. This crisis facing education didn't need COVID-19. We've been living on an edge for a long time, and to be honest, I'm not sure which way is down. 
On the one side, there are administrators and administrations that suppose online programs are one solution to the retention of student populations, an answer of higher enrollment for the question of institutional sustainability. These folks have always been much less concerned with the pedagogy of digital teaching and learning than they have been the statistics that reflect success, which in turn means saliability of their programs and which are supported by very instrumental approaches to education, approaches that Paulo Freire referred to as the banking model of education. Information, or content, is handed to students, and they are then expected to echo back that information in the form of assessments. Rather than knowledge production, these instrumental approaches are focused on knowledge consumption. But in the other thin side of this edge on which we've been living is a concern about online learning that it is inadequate, that it's a poor substitute for classroom learning. Among students, online courses are commonly considered easier and more convenient, and this is because most of the practices of online education assume a universalization of the learning process, one generally founded on behaviorism. In truth, most online practices, courses, and programs are a poor substitute for classroom learning, in part because they attempt to be as much of the classroom as possible. But the only thing that really transfers from the physical to the digital is lecture, rubrics for participation, and, unfortunately, our fear that students will cheat. We have not coded for the human in education, and so unless we know how to seek it out beyond digital platforms, algorithms, and surveillance tools, the human is largely left out of online learning. The problem, as I see it, is that no one has started from the beginning— all of the online education industry has jumped the gun. Rather than any single thing bursting onto the scene, there has always had to be a moment of reflection, concentration, contemplation. What happens when learning goes online? No educational technology has answered or can answer that question. The closest I've ever come to hearing an answer was by teaching a three-week course called Learning Online. The title's inversion of online learning was intentional, as the goal of the course was, in part, to upset our assumptions about online education. And over those three weeks of digging through the archaeology of our assumptions, me and the students alike all reflecting, concentrating, and contemplating, we came up with several dozen answers, all of them grounded in a humanizing of learning digital. What's strange about that experience is that the course has been erased by the designers of the learning management system in which it resided, and so the understandings we all took from our weeks together are all that remain. The technological artifact was unsustainable. Turns out, it was the human experience that persisted. Audrey Waters reminds us of a statement from Rahm Emanuel, the former chief of staff for President Obama, quote, "'You never want a serious crisis to go to waste.'" And what I mean by that is an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. End quote. In the midst of this crisis, when we are faced not only with abrupt digital teaching and the practices and complications that come with it, but also the inequities of technology upon which a light has suddenly been shown, there are many who want to make uncertainty into opportunity. Corporations dealing in educational technology want us to believe that they have the solutions which will not only make this transition to online easier, but will guarantee the success of our students. And advocates for online learning, instructional designers and technologists in some cases, people like me in other cases, and also the stray administrator, 
see this as a shining moment when everything we know works about online education will come to light. Teach to the screen, they say. It's guaranteed to work. But a crisis is not an opportunity, unless it is for bringing communities together. We can plug our students into the LMS. We can mandate that they turn their cameras on in Zoom. We can use remote proctoring services to ensure they're not cheating on their exams. But does that constitute teaching? Does that help us develop a sustainable, equitable digital pedagogy? What happens when learning goes online? This is not a question technology can answer. It's one we need to answer. Teachers, librarians, learning designers, students. Actually good online education comes not from the purchase of another platform, but out of dialogue, out of the will to empower everyone involved in teaching and learning to create together a digital learning that isn't just instrumental, that isn't just performative, but that's authentic, meaningful, and just. That was Sean Michael Morris's Technology Is Not Pedagogy, originally published June 10th, 2020 on seanmichaelmorris.com. Sean Michael Morris is the Director of Digital Pedagogy Lab and Senior Instructor in Learning, Design, and Technology at the University of Colorado, Denver. This audiobook version of Hybrid Teaching, Pedagogy, People, Politics is available wherever you find podcasts. The theme music is Where Was I? from Lee Rosevere. That song, as well as the text and audio of Hybrid Teaching, are all licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, which means they can be reused with author acknowledgement. Licenses like these make multimedia works like this one painless to create, and I'm especially grateful to each of the authors for allowing their material to be reused in this format. I'm Chris Friend, collection editor, podcast producer, and host. I tweet at Chris underscore Friend and teach at Kane University in Union, New Jersey, where the view outside my office window now includes red, orange, yellow, green, and deep purple leaves. Those last ones are new this week. So until next time, thanks for listening.